You're listening to What's Wrong With This Picture? Freaky films and why we freaking love them. Hi, I'm Lindsay McCullough. And I'm Gary Mulholland. And in each episode of What's Wrong With This Picture, we'll be looking at a movie we think is weird and wonderful. We sometimes do include the endings where it's key to what the film is, so please be prepared for that. So anyway, buckle up and join us on a journey to dangerous cities, suburbia and other fantasy worlds. It's going to be a wild ride. This time we are looking at a double bill of films by the same director, Abel Ferrara. And those films are Miss 45, Angel of Vengeance and Bad Lieutenant. And we decided to look at these. We saw these films kind of uh, independently of each other, um, but they're both really weird. They're both really interesting. Um, They've got some similarities, some common themes, but actually uh, they're at quite different stages of Abel Ferrara's career. And that's kind of evident in the starring. That's evident in the the money that's been spent on them. So, um, yeah, Gary, we're going to kick off with Miss 45. Give us the details. So, Miss 45, Angel of Vengeance, is a 1981 low-budget feminist revenge thriller directed by Abel Ferrara and starring Zoe Lund, um, a.k.a. uh, Tamalis, as Thana, um, who is also known in the film as the seamstress or Miss 45. Lindsay, uh, give us the plot. So, a young woman, Thana, is a seamstress in New York City in the 80s. A very grubby New York City, it has to be said. And though she seems to get on well enough with her colleagues, she doesn't talk, so she's cut off from the people around her. She has one really bad day where she's raped on her way home from work. When she arrives home, clothes torn, body bleeding, she's faced with a man with a gun who's robbing her apartment. A struggle ensues, and now Thana has a gun and a thirst for revenge. (laughs) Gary, what's wrong with this picture? Um... It's a very strange watch the first time, but in a really wonderful way. Uh, I think it was only his, uh, Abel Ferrara's second feature. And I guess the initial weird thing that hits you is the acting is amateurish, but feels deliberately so. Um, he's just amazing at where he puts a camera. So you can see this is not somebody who's like does not know how to make a film. It seems to be, but it is somebody who's working with a low budget. So that um, that weirdness is lent immediately by the fact that he's a really accomplished, clever filmmaker, but is working within some quite, yeah, uh, you know, a, f- a small threshold of money. Um, but also, um, he is very much a, a guerrilla filmmaker. And even uh, when we get to his later uh, masterpiece, um, he was very fond of uh, going into his favourite place, which is... Manhattan, uh, New York, and with his camera crew and shooting guerrilla style without permits, whatever. And so therefore, a lot of the people that you see in the film, they have no awareness <laughs> that they were filmed and they're therefore behaving like real people. Um, and what you're getting um, every time you watch Abel Ferrara film, it seems, is a snapshot of exactly what New York was like at that mm. time. Um and I guess the other second weird thing is um, rape revenge thrillers. There's been quite a lot of them by 2023, but there hasn't been a load of them by 1981. And, you know, the most well-known one was probably I Spit on Your Grave by mm. that time. But uh, but uh, Miss 45 is like a cross between a 
yeah, a feminist revenge horror movie, uh, rape revenge horror movie, and a strange new celebration of fashionista New York <laughs> in the nineteen early nineteen eighties, and it's those two things keep kind of bumping into each other and creating sparks. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I would say that you know all those things you find in a really great film. A great script, great acting, a relatable world, well-drawn, rounded characters. I mean, it really has none of them. <laughs> and yet... And yet... And yet, it is, a, it is a great watch and it's it's a really enjoyable film. I guess one of the questions I was going to ask you at the end, but I'm going to bring it right up to the start, oh, yeah, is, okay, is it just exploitation or is it something more? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. It is absolutely exploitation and it's absolutely something more. Yeah, I think, that's I th- a great answer. I think, well, I think Abel, <laughs> that is what, in a lot of ways, Abel Ferrara specialised in. You know, he, he did genre movies uh, on one level. You know, he, he horror movies, slasher movies, uh, vampire movies, uh, you know, gangster movies. But... They were always seen through the lens of an art movie. Mm. He was always doing something completely different with that form um, that was uniquely his and about his worldview, which was shaped by New York, um, by punk uh, to some extent, by uh, Catholicism very, very deeply Mm -hmm. and Catholic guilt um, and by that. That whole part of, uh, by the whole idea of the of New York's underbelly, and sometimes in his films, New York's underbelly is what you'd expect, which is gangsters, uh, and other times it's punk rock bands or no wave bands mm. or um, alternative fashion houses, like we have in this one. And it it's you know he, he he's you know he's always kind of celebrating New York but at the same time critiquing it. Absolutely. And I mean, New York looks filthy. And I know there is mm. this there is this kind of famous thing of you know, Times Square in the early days and Giuliani when he was actually a, a person and not a cartoon villain uh, kind of cleaned it all up and, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And there is that kind of before and after Giuliani yeah. um, kind of thing. And this is very much in the in the before yeah, camp. Yeah, absolutely. Just even walking down the street, you know, there's rubbish, there's filth. There's, um, you know, it's it's kind of a surprise. Everyone's not getting raped every day. You know, yeah. it just it just looks like this horrible, horrible kind of kind of world. Not no glamour. Yeah, nothing at all around. That, Except of course, uh, from Thana as the film goes on. Yeah, and yeah. I guess we'll 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 come to that. But what once he decided on this idea of women are hassled. What's the fantasy of what they would yeah. do about it? Yeah. He creates a New York where every single time a woman of any kind walks alone down a street, even in broad daylight, there is at least one man, probably more, who is just shouting at them, groping them, etc. It was it are absolutely out of control sort of landscape of men who just think they can yeah. abuse women willy-nilly and, and and encourage each other to do it uh until such a point that when it becomes a revenge movie you can be doing nothing else but getting up on your seat and cheering yeah yeah and you know Zoe Lund was only 17 at the time that yeah. this was filmed so she's she's very young and she does bring that kind of vulnerability added to the fact that her character uh certainly initially is is mute um and 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 doesn't talk uh 
But yeah, so when she starts to take her revenge, actually, I just want to say one mm. more, one more mm. thing about the film. Mm. Do you remember, I don't know if I'm dreaming this, but there used to be a show on a Saturday night, one of these kind of late night Saturday night shows, where some guy, I think it was, would take like an old B movie or a European movie and overdub it with just like a whole new story that was kind of oh, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember what that was called. I can't remember what it was called. Now, I, I actually, I think it was a thing, but I can't remember what it was called. This film reminds me of that because <laughs> the acting across the board, I mean, Zoe, Zoe Lund is, 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 she has to carry a lot of the film and, and yeah. she does. Mm, through her presence, I would say, perhaps more than necessarily her, her acting chops, but, mm. but she does, she does carry it. But like, there's a landlady who's terrible. There's her boss who's terrible. Uh, right. And, okay. I'm going to challenge you uh, on this. Okay. I I disagree. Um, I think it's a particular kind of acting which is much more in the tradition of a sort of mix between John Cassavetes and John Waters, um, <laughs> and and therefore it is not about you're turning in a conventional, realistic you know, kind of down-to-earth performance. Um, those, there's, a, I think, some great support performances in it, and they are exagger- but they are exaggerated. Yeah. They are camped up, and that is deliberate. And I think the woman who plays the landlady is one. I think her boss is another. Wow. And I think uh, the other one, which who I think is excellent, is the fashion photographer who decides to hit on her and her friends in a calf and uh, pays for his... Uh, he's he's a really nerdy guy. The whole the thing is that they're sitting in the cafe having lunch um, from their you know their job in the clothes factory, and um, this bloke is well. There's a couple opposite them who are snogging to the point of ridiculousness, and um, our heroines are you know are complaining loudly uh, and they're ignoring them, and then uh, the the woman gets up and leaves. And the guy immediately that's turns right, his attention right. and comes right yeah, over and is yeah. like, which one of you can I hit on? Yeah. Um, and they they can't believe it. You know, his, his, you know, it's like we say, it's an exaggeration of just how bad men can be. Um, and, you know, he pays for his sins, but he has to, I think that's a selfless performance because not only does he have to be, uh, you know, a sexist creep, but he has to have the bad curly hair and the really bad suit and the glasses. He isn't even remotely hot. Yeah, true. And he's the, the really unattractive man who has somehow convinced himself that he's yeah. really hot. And it's a really selfless goofball performance, yeah. which I really All right. like. All right, I buy that. But um, I did, I, I mean, I, I, like I say, I did I did enjoy the film, but I, I kept being reminded of those European films in the 70s, I think I've mentioned this before, where mm. everybody's speaking a different language yeah. and then it's overdubbed in English and it did have that kind of yeah, feel to it. And I was too. like, is this just found footage, Abel Ferrara's just... <laughs> dubbed stuff over. Dubbed, dubbed stuff on. But um, <laughs> what I really like about Miss, Miss 45, and I think we'll see it in Bad Lieutenant as well, is that mm. escalation. So yeah. she starts off... Yes, exactly. The, the second... I. Is the guy she meets in her apartment just on the first day? So she's mm. raped and then she goes home. Is that guy also a rapist or is he just a robber? I could. I think, um, and this is this is also another thing, and and, and I I'm totally putting my hands up to this. Um, the history, this, the, Abel Ferrara has been very much affected by censors. Yeah, in the years. true. And what you'd often find with his films is that they would get. Um, a release for theatrical release, but as soon as they were going to video, um, 
Various countries would just butcher scenes out of them against his will, often without even his knowledge. So, of course, we've, you know, I think me and Lindsay both found versions of this film in the UK on YouTube. Um, and there's a couple of really strange edits in it. And I'm absolutely looking at them and thinking, is that a deliberate choice of yes. Abel Ferrara's? Because, yeah. you know, he's capable of a really strange edit. Or has somebody just sliced an enormous lump out mm. of this movie? Or, you know, and... And, you know, and, and, and we don't know because um, I've never seen, if if so, I've never seen the full version of yeah. Miss 45. Because I, I I had thought he was just a house robber. He was mm, just like a, a, exactly. you know, a home, in, home invader robber. But, but then a review I was reading was like, oh, yeah, no. And then she's raped a second time. I was like, well, I definitely didn't see that. I should have asked you before we started that. I think I'm, I'm going to go right out there and say that the version we've both seen on YouTube was cut for video release uh, because both of the the most obvious looking strange edits are before rape scenes. Mm. Uh, one is in the alleyway where you know one minute is going to happen, the next minute has happened um, in the version I've seen. And... The second one is, yep, he's come in, he's going to rob her. Uh, and then something starts to happen physically. And then the next thing, mm. you know, uh, he's dead. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it, I think that I think we've seen brutally cut versions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, did you know that the first rapist is played by Abel Ferrara? Uh I did, yes. Although, yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd forgotten. But yes, yeah. he's credited as first rapist. <laughs> first rapist. Uh, he's a man in a mask, uh, you know, yeah. so, that, so he, you, you can't actually see Abel yeah. Ferrara's face. But My my point all those like yeah. minutes ago before yeah. I got distracted by that was the, the escalation. So first yeah. she kills in self-defence. She kills the second. So the first rapist... I presume mm. gets away with it. I don't. I don't know if she ever kind of encounters him again. The second man in her apartment. She she does she does kill after a bit of a battle. And as I said, now she's got a gun. So first she kills in self defence. Then she kills someone who she only thinks is trying to attack her. Although mm. actually, what he's yeah. because she's 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 had to dismember this body, the the guy that she's killed in her apartment, and she's dumping bits of it all over town. And a guy sees her drop a bag and is running after her saying, you dropped your bag, you yeah. dropped your bag, because it's like a body part. She thinks he's going to attack her, so <clears throat> he gets he gets shot. And then she kills other men who yeah. are attacking or abusing other women. Then she just starts killing any man. Yeah, <laughs> including, absolutely. Including exactly. the guy who's just snogging his girlfriend. You know? yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. So that, that escalation until we arrive at the party scene, which I'm sure we will talk about in, in, in a bit more yeah, detail a bit later on, because it's such a great scene. Um, such a great sequence, I should say. Um, but just that escalation is something we'll also see in, in uh, Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, definitely. And um, along with the escalation of her crimes, yeah, uh, I guess what we're being told is the the trauma of those two attacks in one day, it's not just revenge in terms of I have decided, I'm Charles Bronson and I've decided to get revenge. You know, she's gone nuts. Um, you know, the trauma mm, has yeah. sent her nuts. And once she kills one person and manages to get away with it, um, it starts to become, it, it, she just wants to kill men. Uh, never women, um, but each killing is creative in the sense of, like you say, they escalate from, okay, we could totally argue that that guy deserved it, whether, yeah. you know, but each death is sort of after a while is a little less in inverted commas 
deserved. Yeah. <laughs> or the, the beautiful one which uh, where he she starts talking to a guy in the Central Park on a bench at night and um, he's t- telling her this story about he murdered his girlfriend's cat because she was cheating on him with yeah. a woman. Uh, he looks extraordinarily like the same actor that played the house invader. I was literally really? looking at him and going, is it the same actor? <laughs> but anyway, and she suddenly gets her gun out of her pocket. She's decided, right, I've heard enough. This is it. <laughs> and the, the gun jams and he takes he takes it away from her and you're like oh no and she's sitting there going oh no and um and then he sort of gets you know gets the gun and actually puts it against his own head and blows (laughs) his head off um and it's it's kind of so she's even managed to sort of almost psych a man into what could be accidental death or what could be actual suicide yeah it's i I think that that in a way is really funny because I don't know if you notice he's talking so much he's just yap 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 in a way yeah he doesn't even realise she can't talk yeah because yeah. she's not talking but he doesn't expect her to and he's uh, just yap 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 in a way and that's what that's why these little bits of feminist you know of thought are, are just woven into the tapestry you know the man who talks and talks and talks and never <laughs> listens you know me 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 you know and and you know it's almost a, a, like a a wish on the part of it's it's the wish. Ferrara's really good at what he's good at is. Let's face it, viewer, we've all thought this should happen. Now, of course, in our logical, rational, you know, we're trying to get on with other people and get through life. We don't actually go and do these things. But let's face it. When you've met a particular kind of man, haven't you? <laughs> Every now and again, just thought I'm going to. Wh- I'd love to whip a gun out and just blow him away, and he just goes with that yeah. and just commits to that idea. And and in order to reveal a truth about the way this particular group of people behave and and what a woman yeah. might feel about that and how she might react to trauma. Uh, and Lindsay, yeah. um, wouldn't you agree, though, and this is the thing about the way some of these performances are and everything, Miss 45 is a comedy. I think it's certainly got some some funny parts. You know, that guy just yap, yap, yapping away, I think, is, is quite funny. And also, her landlady has a dog who's very troublesome because she's got she's storing body parts from the first guy in her fridge. And this dog is determined to get at these body parts Absolutely. in the fridge. So she takes the dog out. For a walk, I mean, and and but then tries to take the dog out, and this yeah. dog will not die. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I think yeah, there there are there are certainly funny parts, and I was thinking actually at the party scene, which we will come on to. Mm. There's a there's there's kind of random party conversation going on, and and one of these is somebody saying to this guy, "But you promised you'd get a vasectomy," and um, <laughs> she doesn't even hear this conversation, but he he does get killed later on. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and also, I wanted to ask you about the music. So, I, I felt I've written down in my notes: crazy soundtrack, electronic boings when she's playing with a gun. But for the most part, the music's like a mosquito all the way through. It's just buzz, buzz, buzzing in your head. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the music. Um, I and uh, one of one of my favorite things, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things about this film is. Cause I'm afraid we have to go to the party scene. I know it's towards the end, but there's no way to to to, to avoid it. Is 
the band in the party scene. Um, so there's a party which is, you know, hey, this is, this is a disco um, sort of thing. Uh, a very early 80s New York type of disco. Everybody, and it's a costume party. It's a costume party. Importantly. Absolutely. And the band uh, are just a stunning thing. Um, they are what appears to be a three-piece band in terms of what you can see. Um, and the, the, they're led by a saxophone player who is the full-on mullet kind of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> experience. And uh, for British listeners, uh, you, you, you'll probably get this reference, at a drummer that looks like Terry from Brookside. <laughs> um, and they're just so happy to be there, and they're pl- but they're playing. They appear to have been hired to play one song <laughs> for the entire night, and it just goes on and on and on. And it's... But the the brilliant thing about this sort of disco, sort of a, a punk disco track is the only way I could describe it. Um, people who who are really into late seventies, early eighties music would would think of it as funky, no wave kind of punk funk. Um, is <laughs> it's it it's just wonderful piece of music, and I, I kind of managed to look it up somewhere, and it's actually called Miss Forty Five Dance Party. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I bet Ebo Ferrara wrote it himself as well. Probably find out he did. Uh, it, it, the artist is someone. It was Jim something, and I'm afraid he's totally. Um, well, I, th- my mind. I think when he's in when he's credited as first rapist, he's also Jim somebody. So I wonder. Oh. I wonder if that's his nom de nom de oh. Miss Forty Five. Interesting. All right. Well, we may have to look that up afterwards. But but the music is yeah absolutely lots of saxophone scronks, and I think it's very heavily influenced by. Um, a very hip New York sax player at the time, uh, well, two actually, um, John Zorn and uh, John Lurie uh, from the uh, Lounge Lizards who, who oh, yeah. went on to have an acting Yeah, uh, Stranger Than Paradise. Stranger Than Paradise. Um, and that was very much the sound of New York roughly bang at yeah. that moment, but the sound of alternative New York, fashionista New York, not not New York that, you know, sold any records kind yeah. of thing. Um, so it's very, very of its moment. And then of course, yeah, you've got this fantastic scene. It, it's not, it's not doing anything, but it looks so great. It, it's a Miss 45 walking across a big open space with the dog. Yeah. And she is a mile in the distance and he just keeps a static camera there and she's walking towards the camera across what looks like a big, a car park, but could just be actually, you know, waste ground. And She's walking right towards the camera to, to the point where her, you know, her she nearly kicks it over and the dog nearly walks right into the camera. And it's just drums. <laughs> and I don't even mean drums playing a rhythm. It's just a drummer playing randomly. It's just just brilliant. I love that. Her appearance changes as well, doesn't it? There's a, exactly. there's a real escalation. So she starts off very kind of young she is young at the time she's a young actress and she's very much in the in the in the background and uh you know kind of yeah nothing much to her you wouldn't really notice her but then as time goes on that changes doesn't it it does exactly um and this is you know i get i think you know one of the biggest things that makes this a comedy um it's she's very very unnoticeable she's she dresses in a very plain drab way she doesn't do her hair you know she doesn't wear any makeup it, she's just 
you know, um, drab is the only way I could put it, mousy. And um, as soon as she... <laughs> As soon as she kills one person, she starts to dress a bit better. And mm -hmm. then the next person, then suddenly she's got this amazingly cool black beret and these amazing fashion Easter trousers. And then she's all in a black duster. And then she's got this amazing blood red lipstick. Yeah. And of course, by the end, she's going to the costume party. She's got this sexy nun's outfit on, which is just... Um, Abel Ferrara manages to find a nun <laughs> <laughs> reference in every film he makes, pretty much. Um, and his non-reference here is just brilliant. Uh, she's she's basically sitting in front of a mirror in her sexy nun's outfit with a blood red lipstick, practicing gun moves, um, in a sort of which is almost like a it's almost like a parody, a very knowing parody of Travis Bickle in the mirror in Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, you know, the man in the mirror practicing with his gun moves. You I know. guess it's not it's not dissimilar actually it's to, not. To, to, to 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 Taxi Driver. But very, very much lower rent, yeah, which, is, yeah. which is great. Yeah. But I, li I like that idea of kind of self-actualisation through homicide. Like yeah. you, you discover who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She discovers who she, she is through killing men. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the party scene, it's a costume party. She goes as a nun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, carnage ensues. Do, <laughs> That's do the we, only way you can put do it. Do we want to say more than carnage ensues? Well, we, we really, um, I should say um, to the listeners, we, you know, we discussed beforehand, um, does this one have spoilers? We, we decided no. Um, we, it's very hard to talk about either of these films without saying the endings are absolutely brilliant. They do not let you down. They couldn't be more different in a lot yeah. of ways, but they couldn't be more the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and, um, but... The Miss 45 ending, without saying exactly what happens, is played for very dark laughter. Yeah. And I think is, again, I'm not sure how knowing a parody, but I think it's a parody of Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Um, with, you know, all these people dressed in the most ridiculous costumes suddenly slowed into slow motion um, as stuff happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and it keeps very morally... Uh, within its purview, I think that's I think that's fair enough. It's got a it's got a take, it's got a position, and it maintains that position to the end. Exactly. Let's yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. Let's move on to Bad Lieutenant. Okay, then. So, um, Bad Lieutenant, uh, Lindsay, um, who who and what made Bad Lieutenant? Uh, Bad Lieutenant is directed in 1992 by Abel Ferrara, so a good uh, nine years after nine years after Miss 45. Mm. It stars Harvey Keitel as the Bad Lieutenant. I should say many people in this film do not have names and Harvey Keitel's character is always just called Lieutenant. Uh, Zoe Lund is in it. She's apparently called Zoe, uh, although I don't think we hear her name, but uh, obviously she's from Miss 45. It also stars Frankie Thorne as the nun, Eddie Daniels as one of the Jersey Girls, and Paul Hip as Jesus. <laughs> Gary, what's the plot? Um, well, the lieutenant is a bad lieutenant. We know this because he steals drugs off the bodies of dead people, abuses his power to get free sex from sex workers, ignores his family, can barely manage five minutes straight before stealing more coke from scared drug dealers, and he pulls girls over in cars on flimsy pretexts before forcing them to perform sex acts for his masturbatory convenience. However, when a nun is brutally murdered in his New York precinct, he becomes obsessed with solving the case and heads down a nihilistic rabbit hole as he confronts his Catholic faith, the depth of his sins, and even Jesus Christ himself. 
The lieutenant is in possession of a one-way ticket to oblivion, and he bought that ticket from an illegal gambling ring who don't take kindly to losers who don't pay their debts. <laughs> Lindsay, what's wrong with this picture? Well, I mean, he really is the worst cop of all time, really, isn't he? A thief, <laughs> gambler, drug addict, sex pest, flasher. Um, you know, when he's when the nun is being uh, examined, her, her rape exam, he's, she's lying naked on a bed. He's kind of peeping her. He's kind of yes. keeping her. He's constantly lurking. Yes. And so this this kind of underbelly, this New York underbelly, and he is a policeman and he carries on his, his police work. He's investigating kind of other murders, but at the same time, you know, the, the first time we see him doing his police work, uh, he there's uh, there's kind of been a drive-by or something, there's a dead body in the car, and a sex worker says to him, oh, by the way, there's some coke under the back seat. So he, he, he kind of sources the coke mm. while this is a kind of nominal nominal um, crime scene but mm. there's a real counterpoint with his family so the film opens with him kind of taking his um, sons who are about I don't know 12 and 8 or 7, 12 and 9 dropping them off at school because they've missed the bus they're barely out of the car before he's he's snorting some coke in his police car this is three minutes in so right from the start um, and this this kind of descent he's on this immoral descent as you say into, mm. into oblivion into into sexual guilt, into religious guilt, is really counterpointed with his very ordinary family. And there's a scene where he's passed out in the living room and he wakes up and he immediately goes to turn on the TV to to, to the, the result of this game, one of the mm, playoff games, mm. which is kind of key to the plot. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Yeah. But I was just like, it's like living with a bear. I mean, mm. he has mm. he, he is so far removed from his family and they're all sitting around kind of eating breakfast or doing what they do. And he is like this... Bear. That's the only way I can say it. It's like it's, it's like if you had a wild animal in your family, you'd stay still, you'd stay quiet, you wouldn't poke it, yeah, and it would lumber about its business, and that's that's kind of what he does. Yeah, he's a monster of the id, isn't yes, he? Yes, yeah. he's a monster of the id, and I think one of the the, the key things about this is, um, you know, before we go into sort of so much with going on with bad lieutenant, but it's got to be pointed out, Harvey Keitel has one of the greatest resumes of any actor mm -hmm. of his generation mm -hmm. um he's been so great in so many films just off the top of my head um holy smoke reservoir dogs mean streets taxi driver uh, the, the piano um I, I mean just brilliant yeah i'm not alone in believing and i'm really not alone in believing this is his single greatest performance oh it's it's amazing it's, it's amazing it's and it's a film even though Abel Ferrara's direction and the story, uh, the script he wrote with Zoe Lund are brilliant, and it's this film is dependent on Harvey Keitel and how much he commits. Absolutely, I mean, he absolutely. I, I think it was Roger Ebert's review I was reading where he says he absolutely exposes himself, not just physically, which yeah. he does yeah. very early on. There's a very uh, kind of uh, a nude, a nude scene. Yeah. Um. It, it it kind of, although he looks amazing in it, I have yeah. to say. I yeah. mean, he looks incredibly sexy when you see the picture, the still of it. It's an incredibly sexy. Yeah. Body, but nonetheless, it's not sexy in the film because he's kind of. This is when he's with the two sex workers, and he's got his arms out, and he's kind of da stumbling and dancing. He's mm. high. He's drunk. He's stumbling and dancing, and he's kind of crying and keening. Yeah. But yeah. this is like a full frontal Harvey Keitel that 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 we're seeing and it's a really really powerful scene so I was really, talking to a friend of mine yeah. and, and she sent me the still of him and as I say yeah. the still of him 
he's a very sexy man, but that's not what he is in the film. No, uh, and, and context is all, isn't it? And he really does seem to reach into himself, Kaitel, uh, and pull, you know, it's like Ferrara said, can you reach down into yourself and pull out the absolute worst? Um, and and, the, and and not just worst as in behaviour, but worst as in the worst you've ever felt mm. and can ever feel. Yeah. And that he's done it. And he got there and... Um, it is one of those things, you know, Harvey Keitel is, you know, he's, he's a taciturn, you know, he's a pro, he, he goes, he does his job, he's not a great one for doing all the chat shows and sitting around, you know, giving you his lovely anecdotes about how great he is and, you know, how much weight he put on for this part and how much weight he lost for the other one because he's just so committed, he's, he's not that guy. Um, he, he will barely do interviews and when he does, he'll, he'll say the bare minimum. So, um, but I would love to meet him just to say, how long did you need off yeah. after Bad Lieutenant? Yeah. You, were you okay? Because I can't believe, and I know what you're going to say here, but I can't believe that, they, that he just switched off after that and went, yep, cheers, bye. Was your guess of what I was going to say was, he also made Reservoir exactly, Dogs in the same it year. it was, it was, <laughs> So he also made Reservoir Dogs in the same year. So yeah. what, what a year that was. I know, uh, but his, his greatest year, I guess you'd yeah, have to say. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and by then, he'd been an, an actor for getting on, well, for uh, over for 20 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 25. Yeah. Uh, just, just to return to the film, I think, mm. um, there's a really great tension in it. It really ramps up. I think... Mm. You know, we mentioned uh, in Miss 45 the escalation of who she kills and why she kills them. Yeah. And there's an escalation here, or maybe it's a kind of downward spiral more, I don't Mm. know. But, you know, he starts off snorting coke and then he smokes crack and then he smokes heroin. And by the end, he's shooting up heroin. Yeah. So it's just this this kind of uh, spiral in that way. But the other, the kind of counterpoint to that is the tension that's about the uh, baseball game. So it's, mm. the, it's the playoffs to decide who goes to the World Series. Mm. It's it's a fictional game. Apparently this wasn't this wasn't what, yeah. what, what really happened. Yeah. But it's uh, the Mets, New York team playing the Dodgers, LA mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a best of seven. So when the film opens, the m- Mets are down. Yeah. Is it the Mets are down or the Dodgers are I down? I can't remember. You know. Okay. But the, I think the Mets are down three Three nothing. So, uh, yeah. so the Dodgers only have to win one more to be four four up. So the best of seven. So they yeah, win. yeah. So there's this That's whole right. there's this whole gambling thing going on where he has bet against the Mets because clearly they're going to lose. They're three games yeah. down out of best out of seven, and he keeps doubling down and not just yeah. his own money but other people's money as well. And so over the course of the film, we hear the results of these next yeah. four games. This yeah. tension just keeps ramping up. Yeah. And at one point, he turns on his radio to hear the result. Uh, his police radio in the car, and then shoots it. Yeah, because it's not yeah. the right thing. Yeah. Um. And and uh, so it's kind of like it becomes like this kind of thriller. This just what's yes. going to happen in this baseball game, and it's a really great underpoint, underscoring of of what's happening to him. One of the brilliant things I think about this film is that it's quite it's quite obviously more more concerned with being one a character study, and two a allegory uh, about. Catholicism, guilt, sin, and redemption. Yeah. However, 
there's still a good plot. Yeah. <laughs> and there's still a good enough plot. It fits perfectly with the fact that this, the, it, before the film started, this man was yeah. hovering on the abyss. Yeah. What finally takes him yeah. down, you know, and, and two events, um, the rape of a nun and this ridiculous baseball series, <laughs> which defies all logic, uh, and his insistence on, on gambling on it. And incidentally, one of the, one of the, the scenes that we sh- shot, that actually this is interesting because I, I do want to ask you about, there is, there is a scene, a, a, there is two scenes of sexual assault against women um, in Bad Lieutenant. Yeah. So let's take the first one. The first one was one that was censored for the video. Uh, here and it it is an unknown assailant raping the nun. When you watched it, oh right, yes, two unknown assailants. Sorry, yes, you're right, uh, raping the nun. Do what were your feelings in, in, about that, that? Was it gratuitous scene that you didn't really need to see, or was it vital? Ah, uh, I. Mm... I'm going to say, I mean, in some ways half and half, I'm going to verge 60% gratuitous, actually. I, I I feel it did verge a little on the gratuitous side that, you know, she's a young nun, she's got a young body and we see quite a lot of her body in quite a sexual way, actually. Um, I think these days people, if they show rape, they show it very much more as a as a kind of violent act, you know. Mm. But even I guess mm. the year after, or or maybe the same year, the accused, the accused, yeah, that's seen as a as a violent act. It's not yeah. seen as a sexual act, and I think in this one, Ibo Ferreira makes it a sexual act, which I'm slightly unnerved by. What What about you? Well, I, I'm I would go with you that it's it's a stunning film, and and. Abel Ferrara has to make his, he's the kind of director, you know, I'm not going to tell him what artistic choice is to make. However, if we'd just got a news report saying a nun's been raped, I think that would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we had to see it. And, um, but I just thought it was interesting. Um, another, to, a way to elucidate for listeners just what a well of confusion. Um, people who are given this bizarre uh, role of being our moral guardians. Uh, this is James Furman, the head of censors, own quote about the fact that that scene was not cut out, which would have been one thing, um, but a second of uh, a male bum, basically, and the sec and about a second of some female underwear uh, were cut out. And um, his quote was. We didn't set out to make the rape scene less exciting. <gasps> we set out to make it less sexually exciting. What? What? How many levels of wrong? Bloody hell. How many Bloody levels hell. of wrong? I, it, it, it's, uh, this is a man put in charge of our morals. I, yeah. I just that's, that's, don't know where that's to start. I mean, thankfully he's... Long dead and gone by now, I think, isn't he? It must be. I mean, this was 30 years ago. But it's... That is is outrageous, isn't it? I think, I mean, one thing that the scene has and needs to have is the religious aspect. Absolutely. So 
she is she is raped um, partially with a, with a crucifix, which we don't see, but we learn about, and that's the right thing. We need to learn about that because it happens. It happens in the church. It happens on the altar, and so there is a a counterpoint between the nun and a statue of the Virgin Mary, which has been kind of knocked over. Mm. So obviously they are the they are the same. They represent each other. Mm. Um, I think it's important to see that scene in the church, to see it in situ. Mm. But I don't think we have to see the nun's kind of slender body. No, I agree. Um, so I, I, that would be my my. I think it is exploitative. Yeah. Um, and but I'm not going to fight you on it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But then I guess the second scene of sexual assault that you're talking about yeah. is the the Jersey girls in the car. Exactly, and I think this is a scene that. Um, looms large for both of us um so i knew that we would be talking about it i i just think it's it's different one of the reasons it's different and i'm not saying morally better or worse different uh, to the other scene we're discussing uh one it's it's the actual protagonist and we 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 are looking at him as much as we are looking at the girls uh secondly i've never i'd never seen anything like that in a film before and i'm not I'm not that familiar of mm. thinking of a scene like like it afterwards. Um, so, I mean, basically what happens is that he's, you know, in his guise as policeman, and I say guise because yeah. he, it very much seems like a disguise. It's, it is, it's a way yeah. for him to get drugs. It's a way for him to extort people. You know, he, he, he's called to a store robbery. He sends the store owner away to take a, um, a, a statement and then he just shakes down the robbers for the money that they've just stolen. So it does seem like it's a handy way for him to to live this degraded to a, lifestyle. To live a life of crime. And just to sort of say, just absolutely make that point, um, this is Abel Ferrara himself uh, from an interview on um, uh, a version of the Blu-ray released in the UK and talking about um, what inspired the original writing of the script uh, with Zoe Lund. And uh, it was, um, what about there is a character that had every vice rolled into one <laughs> and a badge? That sounded like a fun character to me. <laughs> and then 20 years after that, we get the shield. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> However, where, uh, you know, the protagonist of the shield certainly had his uh, crime, drug, sex issues. I don't think he does anything as bad as what, her, uh, as what the bad lieutenant does in this film, which no. is, so he, in his, in his guise as a cop, he's pulled over... Uh, two teenagers, they're meant to be, I think, but they look they look maybe slightly older than that. I think one of them actually, did you know this, was his actual babysitter of his own kids. <laughs> not not oh, in the Abel. film. Not in the film, but yeah, it was no. Harvey Keitel's own. Oh, Harvey Keitel. Harvey not, not Abel babysitter. Ferraris. Right, yeah. okay, cool. Go for it. So he, he pulls over this car <laughs> because there are lights out or something, and then he sees it's two young girls who don't know shit from Shinola to, in the in the vernacular. Um, and they've they've been at a gig They've they smoked a bit of weed. They've they've borrowed the car from their dad. I think they meant to be mm. sisters, and he doesn't know anything about it. And so he's just like, well, you know, I'm going to have to take you in, and I'm going to have to call your dad. I'm going to have to take you in. I'm going to have mm. to call your dad. Mm. I'm going to have to take you in, unless there's something you can do for me. And and what he makes them do is he makes one of them show her arse, and he makes the other one uh, mime mime giving him oral sex. So he doesn't touch them, mm. uh, but none, nonetheless, he he kind of degrades them mm. all the while masturbating furiously against the side of their car mm. yeah what's your take on that one it's it's whereas it's weird for me that is one of the most the weird i still remember in the cinema when i first went to see it going what the i, I was shocked it, it, you know i 
you know, I was 30 years old by that time. I'd watched a lot of movies. I'd watched a lot of horror movies. I'd watched a lot of movies that were deemed very, very controversial. All of the, the films that, you know, were deemed controversial, probably, in Britain. Um, and I was shocked. I was sitting there going, oh, wow, what the hell? Um, but there is no scene... You know, we are desensitized to watching men in films going around shooting people. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that we just are. We are. We, You know, from the minute you're about three years old, you're watching yeah. blokes running around shooting each other. It, it needed a scene that really, truly got over how corrupt this man was, mm. how degenerate he was. And that scene did it. Yeah. It was it was the lowest. It was so low. Yeah, there was just nothing redeemable in that man after he'd done yeah. that. Uh, despite the fact that it's a film about redemption. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that made it incredibly brave, um, a, bit, a brilliant piece of writing. Incredibly brave. I hope the two act real life actresses mm. were fine, and I hope it wasn't too method. Um, I don't know if there were women who watched the film at the time that were. Now, now there might be trigger warnings. I think, um, and, and yeah, you know, back in the t the day, we never got things. Like yeah, that. because you know, so many women have been flashed at or masturbated yeah. at. You know, it is it's yeah. Unfortunately, it is it is a it is a real. But thing. the women that I knew at the time, of mm. you you included, mm. um, who went to see that film, and none none of them said, you know, that film no. triggered me or no. or I or I felt it was a misogynist scene. It was a scene about misogyny rather than a misogynist scene, but. Yeah, that's very. Uh, I'm, yeah, and uh, I mean, is it even? Of course, it's misogynist, but it's it's not. It's not how he hates women; it's how he hates himself. Yes, that's what that scene yeah, is, is 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 about, isn't it? Yeah. So I mentioned there was an actor playing Jesus, and this is mm. uh, part of his hallucination, yeah, part, of his, part of his Catholic guilt. And interestingly, so it's it's his hallucination. But actually, there's a very brief intercut of that during the rape scene, yeah. which he's not present yes, at, and yes. he doesn't he doesn't know yeah. at that point anything about uh -huh. it. But nonetheless, there's a there's a there's a little bit of of um, of of Jesus there. Uh, I, I just in terms of the making of the the camera follows him very very closely, as you say, it's guerrilla filmmaking, shot without permits. Mm. So the, there's a nightclub that he's in, <clears throat> I think, to try and score some drugs. And it's a real nightclub. It's yep, yep. kind of like, you know, we, we talked here about Under the Skin and Scarlett mm. Johansson is just wandering through a real nightclub. Yeah. Yep. And this one, Harvey Keitel, is just wandering through a real nightclub. Um, there's a lot of uh, film, uh, a lot of the film is filmed from inside the car where he's driving in his cop stuff or whether he's shooting the radio or just driving around town. Yeah. A lot of it's shot from inside the car. There is, we determined, uh, no, no spoilers, there is a scene at the end where something uh, where where there is a car and something happens within that car, and it's a long shot. We've mm. seen it from quite far away. It seems like there are real people reacting yeah. to what they assume agree. is a real crime. Yeah, and it's an incredible way to end the film. We're not spoiling what the the, the crime is. It's an incredible way to to, to end. Hundred percent. Uh, I. There was a, a nice little documentary um, that I managed to find uh, speaking to um, the cinematographer. Sorry, I'm, I'm moving a bit away from the microphone there. 
Um, and uh, But I was looking at my notes and he was talking about the fact that Abel Ferrara's instruction to him was this was, he'd worked with Ferrara a few times. He knew exactly how he worked. And he said um, that basically he wanted the camera to be following Keitel around a lot and that he wanted it to be a, a non-judgmental shoot. And by that, the camera was in a positioned in a way that it was subjective and not objective. And by that, I mean, it's it's like you're walking with Keitel mm. all the time. It's like you're walking with him. And um, what you're not doing at any point, so you're in the nightclub, you're in the nightclub. You, you, it's like you're squeezed in there with people. What you're not doing is sitting in a camera on the roof mm. looking down at everybody. That's more of a judgmental and objective shot. The one truly objective shot yeah. is the, the very the last end. shot. Yeah which is a static camera yeah. set some yards away from the event that you're talking about. And as you say, is the activity around, considering the way so much of it was shot, is that activity around the car extras or is it actually the reactions of people? And I, I kind of was sitting there think, looking at it and thinking, well, actually, to get people to stop and look in a car, you don't need... Uh, right. Trying to avoid spoil. You don't need something disgusting or grot grotesque in the car. You just need something a bit weird in mm, the car. Mm. And then they would stop and look and go, well, what the hell is that? And a couple of them might point and somebody might shout. Somebody goes, what is that? Um, but the other irony, which, which of course, it, it, completely unintentional, but uh, the sign over the top of what everybody's doing. Trump Plaza. There you go. <laughs> He's parked outside. The car is parked outside Trump Trump Plaza. Um, I, I, I think it's real. I think those are real passers-by. I think so. The reactions because are... they don't just look curious; they look uh, horrified. Mm. Uh, I, I think they look it's... confused. Yes, I think, and yeah. I, I, I think, I don't know how far he would go to put something in a car that would make people literally react with horror, but they definitely look confused and bewildered, and, um, and. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, you you know, you mentioned the scene with Jesus, um, you know, a Jesus that is in Kaitel's mind as he he dips further into madness, and um, you know, I'm just mentioning scenes that I love uh, the intensity that Kaitel has in that scene, and mm. he's just he's just bursting, crying and crying to the point where he can barely talk, and going, "Where were you?" Yeah. Why you? Why did you leave yeah. it all to me? Why have I got to sort this out? Yeah, why have I got to sort my own life out? Mm. Where were you? And he's screaming it. I can't impersonate the scream. Yeah. I wouldn't know how to get there. It's it's, it's an absolute. It's, it is, it's, it's, it's an incredibly powerful performance. I mean, he's worked with obviously loads of people: Tantino, of course, Scorsese, of course, Jane Campion, Jim Jarmusch, Wes Anderson, Paul Schrader. Um, He's done hundreds of films, and I, I realised looking at it, there's so many of them I haven't seen seen that. I mean, I need to I need to pull out. But what what what's your favourite Kaitel performance outside of Bad Lieutenant? Outside of Bad Lieutenant, I'm going to go for, and I realise it's a minority uh, choice because you know Reservoir Dogs is obviously a very big one. Main Streets is a very big one. Um, but I love his performance with uh, Kate Winslet in Holy Smoke. Oh yeah. I, I, which is the most, the closest he's got to the self-lacerating 
almost humiliating intensity that he reached in Bad Lieutenant. Mm. Um, it's a, a film that not many people saw, even though, you know, Jane Campion has gone on to have this great career yeah. and whatever. Um, for some reason, even with these two big stars in it, it, it didn't it didn't cross yeah. over and it's just sort of disappeared and you don't see it streamed anywhere anymore. If you ever do track down Holy Smoke, people, I really recommend it. Yeah. It's such a strange film yeah. and, it's, and they're both amazing. I remember him saying at the time um, that the fact that Kate Winslet kind of was able and willing to do a film like that kind of showed what a person and what a man she was. There was more to her than yeah, kind of the, the movie absolutely. star, the Titanic movie star. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I love Mean Streets and I know everybody says it's Robert De Niro's film because he's got the showier, showier part, the, the Johnny Boy part. But Kaitel is brilliant in that. Really, really brilliant. I agree. Uh, it, I, it, it depends on Kaitel being good because yes. for that one, De Niro does get to be just the chaos. Yeah. The wild card. Um, but Kaitel's the moral centre yeah. of the film. As he is, in a way, in Thelma and Louise. Oh, of and course, I always forget about it's a You know, he's obviously not one of the stars, but he brings something to that. Um, and I, I just I just love it. But, you know, he's great in From Dust Till Dawn. He's great in Reservoir he Dogs. He's he's okay in Pulp Fiction. It's a kind of comedy character that he does, but yeah, he's okay but in, in It's that. kind of iconic. The ones he did with Jim Jarmusch, Smoke and Blue in the Face, they're, yeah. they're great as well. So yeah. he's just he's just always, you can pretty much always depend on him. The Duelists, do you remember that? Yeah, Ridley Scott's, God, first, Ridley film? Scott's first film, yeah. Um, he, you can always kind of depend on him, I think, to, I think to bring so. something. And I, I think, I was thinking about him, you know, because obviously... You know, I, I got into three actors, and I say actors, you know, as in male actors at the same time when I was in my teens um, that, that became, I guess, my iconic actors, um, and that was Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Harvey Keitel. Robert De Niro and Al Pacino have... I mean, I know that, you know, they, they did their thing and therefore, they you know, you earn the right to do whatever you like in your later life to make yourself money. But they sold out. But they completely sold out and have just been in so much junk. I mean, I, I junk, not not just mediocrity. Good. Junk. They've won Oscars for it. Um, yeah, they won Oscars for mediocrity, um, but then they were in junk, mm. like unwatchable films. Um, you know, for every heat, there was 10... You know, the Adam Sandler comedy where he plays his own sister and, and Alan Pacino comes on and does a song and dance routine. You know? Oh, really? Uh, that happened. <laughs> um, junk. I, was, I was thinking Scent of a Woman, but okay. Yeah, no, that's mediocrity. Yeah. I'm talking about unwatchable yeah. junk. Um, Harvey Keitel, look, you know, I know he did an advert in the UK based on the Pulp Fiction character, you know, so it's not like he doesn't ever do anything from, just for money. But... He hasn't been in too many... I, I can't think of a, a film where I've been embarrassed for him. Mm, mm, he, yeah. he, he makes solid choices. He didn't do an Adam Sandler comedy. Mm. <laughs> he didn't do Meet the Fockers. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't do Total Junk. And, and I, you know, where, so Harvey Keitel, my respect for him has survived, whereas De Niro and Pacino's yeah, yeah. is kind of... Evaporated. And they were all, all three in the Irishman, weren't they? Uh yes. They were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> um yeah. Um so 
So there yeah. you have it. Then yeah, yeah, we yeah, are yeah. Uh, uh, two uh, Abel Abel Ferrara films. Yes, different and yet similar in, in yes. many many ways. Yeah. let's let's let's. It's do New some... York. There's nuns. Yes. There's chaos. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's 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 guilt of some degree. There's, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's all of that. Yeah. Um. So let's score them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we will do. I think we agreed that we would do nuns' habits as they feature quite heavily in in both films. So cool. out of nuns, ten nun habits for quality, ten nun habits for weirdness. Let's do Miss Forty Five. Um, nine nun nuns' habits for quality, and eight nuns' habits for weirdness. Um, I think even though it is right, you could. Uh, Maybe, like, objectively, if you sat and watched Miss 45 and Bad Lieutenant together, you go, oh, well, Bad Lieutenant's a conventional film compared to Miss, Miss 45. is much mm. weirder. I don't think it is because I think in the context of a low-budget, almost guerrilla-style movie at that particular time, I don't think Miss 45 is that weird. Yeah. I think if you watch a John Waters film or a Larry Cohen film or an Andy Warhol film, mm. you won't think Abel Ferrara's Miss 45 is completely out there. Yeah, I, I, same, same. I think eight for weird for me. I'm also going to go, I think eight for eight for quality because um, for me, I I do prefer Bad Lieutenant. I think that is that is the better film. It's uh, it, it's had more money spent on it, mm. but it's got Harvey Keitel. Yeah. And uh, while I'm a fan of what Zoe Lunt does in mm. Miss, Miss 45. It's not quite. She's, same thing. He, he's, an, he's an actor and yes. we, we are seeing... The depth of his of his soul. So I'm going to give um, Bad Lieutenant uh, eight for weird and nine for quality. I'm going to give Bad Lieutenant ten for quality and nine for weird. I do think it's a weirder film than Miss Forty Five in the context of what it's trying to say and yeah. how extreme it gets in trying to say yeah. it. And and I I do think. I really love Miss 45. I absolutely love it. I couldn't believe when I first saw it, the delight and, and to watch it a second time and like it even more. I can't do anything else but give it a nine. Bad Lieutenant, I know I could take points off for problematic scenes, mm. um, but it's it's one of the greatest acting performances in cinema history and I, I, I'm really not exaggerating and, and it's, and Abel Ferrara puts it into a perfect context. Can't say fairer than that. <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. What's Wrong With This Picture is brought to you by Lindsay McCulloch and Gary Mulholland and is recorded by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. Music composed and performed by Russ Keffert.